We started a series last week on justice, which Oz introduced by looking at the actual word justice, the idea of justice, what it means. Uh, and as he said in his sermon, it can be a tricky word because it can carry with it sort of political overtones, which might make us feel uncomfortable or uncertain. But I suppose what I'm, the way I'm approaching this series, I'm not really thinking about it in those terms. What I'm thinking about this is this is just another way of thinking about what Paul writes to the Philippians when he writes in chapter 2, uh, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you, he says, should not look just to your own interests but to the interests of others. And that's what this series is about, really looking to the interests of others. And today we are asking a question, who are the marginalised? Who are the marginalised today? Which, um, it's a difficult question to tackle and I'm, I'm fairly sure that some of you will probably be dissatisfied with the conclusions I draw or with the answers I give because it's a big topic and it's not easy and I don't think it's necessarily right to, to preach a sermon like this and come away with saying, look, and you know, A, B, C, D, these are the marginalised and, you know, those are the people you should be looking after. I think it's a, a bit more complicated than that. Uh, one of the things Oz talked about, uh, I think quite rightly, is he emphasised the fact that in the Old Testament, certainly, the the, the the sort of the prominent view of justice is an idea of restorative justice, justice that restores people and situations rather than just sort of uh, punishes or, or f um, corrects something, but actually uh, brings people back together. And that's important when we think about the marginalised, because the whole idea is people on the margins, people on the, the outskirts, people who might slip through the cracks of society. The, the Hebrew word, I think, is mumza, meaning sort of the outcasts, the people who are, uh, who are outcasts from society. And it's important to remember that true justice is about bringing the marginalised in from the margins, about bringing the outcasts in from the cold. Because I think sometimes, and again, Oz touched on this last week, I think, when he talked about the different types of justice, the way our society works, the way our theology works, we can often think of terms of justice purely in, you know, getting what you should get as a result of your actions. And, and in, in our society, we sometimes look at the people on the, the, the marginalised, the outcasts, the poor, the, the lonely, people like that, and we say, well, they're kind of getting what they've chosen. They're getting what they deserve. Poor people, you know, they've, they've wasted their money or they've not, they've not worked hard enough or whatever, so they're poor. So actually their poverty is justice, it's what they deserve. Yet the heart of the gospel is this idea of justice being about restoring people from the, the outskirts. It's about us, in a sense, not getting what we deserve. That is entirely what the gospel is, isn't it? That's what grace is, that we don't get what we deserve. We don't get the consequences of our action. God demonstrates his justice by restoring what went wrong. And uh, I've got a little uh, ornament up here. I had an angel last time uh, I preached at Christmas. I don't know how well you can make it out. I've raided my wife's jewellery collection. It's a, a necklace with a, a circular kind of um, symbol at the bottom. And I thought not only does that give you something to look at when you're tired of my ugly mug, but also 
it kind of emphasizes, it captures something I wanted, an image I wanted to, to use this morning, the idea of the circle, because I think uh, sometimes we draw rings, we draw circles, and the idea is um, that a circle can be one of two things. It can be a boundary which keeps people out, or it can be something that is inclusive, that brings people in. And there's a short verse by a guy called Edwin uh, Markham, called uh, Outwitted. And it's quite a, a short, single verse that I like. He, he goes like this, he, he goes, He drew a circle that kept me out. Heretic, rebel, thing to flout. But love and I had the wit to win. We drew a circle that took him in. And I think that's the gospel. It's about drawing circles, not to keep people out, not to push people out, but to bring people in. And that's kind of what we're thinking about when we think about the marginalised. And I want to start by just sort of almost recapping some of the things, some of the points Oz made last week, because I think they're crucial. And it's perhaps just uh, uh, sort of reinforcing those ideas. Uh, and there are two things I want to introduce this morning. And the first thing I want to say, the first thing I want to introduce is that God, and I hope this is clear from Oz's sermon last week, God actually cares about the marginalised. They're important to him. They've always been important to him. If you look back at the Old Testament, if you look back at the laws God gave his people, the Jews, to live by, there are various laws which are all con concerned with the marginalised, about making sure those who are on the outskirts are brought in, are included in the circle of, of society, the circle of love. In Leviticus 23, 22, for example, you've got what's called the gleaning law, which is where the, you, you're instructed, if you own a field and you're harvesting it, you're told, don't harvest right to the edge of your field. Leave the edge of the field unharvested so that those who have no food, those who have no uh, family to care for them, can actually come to your field and glean your food from the edges of, of um, your field. Uh, that's one of the laws, to care for those who are marginalised. And if you remember, uh, again, Oz spoke last week about it in the Old Testament. If you remember when we looked at Isaiah uh, last year, one of the themes of Isaiah is this idea of justice, of God's judgment coming on his people because they have not cared for the poor. They have not looked out for those who God thinks are important. Now, as we go into the New Testament, sometimes there can be a shift in our thinking. We think, well, no, OK, the Old Testament is kind of about that. But the New Testament is about Christ and his saving work. And it's really about spiritual things. It's really about, our, you know, sin and our hearts, getting them right with God and, and restoring our relationship with God, which it is. But all through the New Testament, you find evidence that to the people of God, they have not said, well, we're, we're done with this, caring for the marginalised. That's the old, you know, covenant. The new covenant is, is about me and, and my forgiveness and my personal righteousness. They continue to stress the importance of caring for and looking after the marginalised. You can see it in the early chapters of Acts, where the church takes seriously its commitment to making sure that there is no, there, no one lacks anything in their community, to caring for the, the poor, for the widows, all those kind of peoples. Jesus himself, when he came, at the very beginning 
of his ministry when he's speaking in Nazareth, his hometown, and he's in the synagogue, and it's his, uh, he's got the role this particular day of reading the passage of scripture for the, for the synagogue reading, and he reads from uh, Isaiah 61, a passage you might know, the story is found in Luke 4, 18 to 19, and he reads it and says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. And I think, again, we can sort of spiritualise that and say, well, of course, you know, he released us from the prison of sin and, and things like that, which is true. But I think Jesus very much, a lot of his miracles about feeding people, healing people, were very practical, physical miracles. They weren't spiritual things necessarily. And essentially, I think Jesus is saying, look, when the Messiah comes, and I'm the Messiah, when the Messiah comes, you will see the marginalised, their lot being improved, their lives being improved in very real way. Uh, James, if you go into the New Testament letters, James, in in uh, chapter 1 verse 27 says religion that God our father accepts as pure and faultless is this to care for the um, orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from becoming polluted by the world so James carries you know this kind of spiritual idea of of making sure you don't get drawn into the ways of the world with you know to care for the orphans and widows in their distress to care for the marginalized that is religion that our father accepts as pure and faultless one of my um favorite little facts if you like niche kind of facts in in the new testament is when paul writes to the galatians and he tells a little story and i think this is um, something that I imagine many of you will never have realised or noticed or paid particular attention to, but I think it's actually very telling, is one of the things about Paul's story is he, um, when he is converted on the road to Damascus and decides to become a follower of Jesus after having persecuted the church, he, he actually goes off by himself and um, he sort of learns from God as he puts it about what he, the gospel is what his calling is and he goes about preaching his gospel that we're justified by faith and it's actually 14 years since he became 14 years past before he actually goes up to Jerusalem to meet with what he calls the pillars of the church James John and Peter the three disciples whom uh, Jesus you know uh, invested a lot uh, of personal time in he goes it's 14 years past before he goes to them to say look this is what God has done in my life this is what I've been preaching you know I'm, uh, is this okay is this good theology if you like is my gospel that what did I believe and he says I don't really would have cared what they said because God gave me this this gospel but he goes to them and says this this gospel that I've been called to the Gentiles to tell them we are we are saved by faith and the gospel is for all people is that okay like, is that in line with, with what you believe Jesus um, taught and called them to? And Paul says they didn't want to change a single thing about my preaching. They gave the thumbs up to everything I was doing and, and said, you know, we're, we're called to the Jews. That's fine. You are called to the Gentiles. We back you 100%. But what's really interesting, and again, this is what you may not have noticed, is at the, the end of that, and you can read it in Galatians 2, um, Paul says they only asked one thing of me. They didn't want me to change any of my preaching, but they asked one thing of me. They asked that I continue to remember the poor. The very thing, says Paul, that I was eager to do. 
And what I find really telling, what I find really interesting about that is they had this big meeting, Paul and, and you know, Peter, James and John, the, 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 the pillars of the church had this big meeting to talk theology, you know, good sound, what's the gospel? And at the end of it, they say, but there's one thing we must remember to do, and that is care for the poor, care for the marginalised. And I think that's interesting because I wonder how many of us have ever had, you know, a good, solid conversation about theology. And at the end of the conversation, we've said, well, when all things come, come down to it, we must remember to care for the poor. We must remember to care for the marginalised. I don't think we think that way. I don't think like this idea of caring for the marginalised is a natural part of our faith, our theology, as it was in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, because it's on God's heart. These people are important to God, and the Bible constantly drums home that this idea that they are important to God and we should be caring for them. So that's the first thing I wanted to, to, uh, to stress, which, um, you know, as Oz said, he, as he concluded in sermon, like, caring for the poor and, and doing work to help the marginalised is not an optional extra of being a Christian. It's not like, well, I'm a Christian and, you know, those people are called to help the poor or to look after the marginalised. I'm not. So, you know, I don't have to do it because it is not a calling within the gospel. It is at the heart of the gospel. It is on God's heart. It is something we should all be thinking about. Who are the marginalised and who is God calling me to care for? Because he is. It's that simple. He is. You don't get to opt out of that because you think, you know, it's, it's, it's an optional extra to, to the gospel. It's at the heart of the gospel that God restores what is broken. And when our systems and our structures and things in our country and around us in the world around us are broken, we are actually called as part of our, our discipleship, as part of our mission, as part of being a follower of Jesus. We are called to notice these things and say, what can I do? What can I do to help God fix this broken world? And we're thinking particularly about this idea of the marginalised today. And that's the first point. The second thing I wanted to say that it, uh, to sort of um, in, to it's more than an introduction, really. Uh, it's kind of the bulk uh, of my message. The second thing I wanted to say today is that not only does God care for the marginalised, not only are they on God's heart, but because they are on his heart, he often seems to be at work in them and through them in ways that he is not at work in other parts of society. And I think that's really important to remember because we are addicted to success in our culture, certainly in the West. We are addicted to success. Uh, you see it in our financial systems where businesses have to keep making bigger and bigger profits each year. You have to make more money than you made last year. Um, because success is important. We're addicted to success. I think we see this in the church too, where we, we become about um, numbers. And, you know, I don't know about you, but I admit, uh, you know, I confess, confession is good for the soul. There have been times where I've looked at our YouTube channel or looked at a particular service and uh, seen how many people have watched that video and maybe on, on the side of YouTube videos where it gives you other recommendations, I might glance over and see another church service and I'll look down, how many have viewed their video? How do we compare 
Uh, and, you know, I wouldn't recommend it. I have a friend who used to say, when you compare, you lose. And I think that's true. Where we, the act of comparison, you become a loser, whether you, whether you have more or not, you lose just by comparing. And uh, so, but we, we, there is something in us and in our culture, in our society, in us personally, in our churches, that we think, you know, where is God? God is where the successful people are. Where you see lots of people, that's where God is. Where actually the Bible, I think, stresses a different view. You know where you find God? You find him amongst the marginalised. You find him amongst the poor. You find him amongst the unsuccessful. One of the, uh, uh, well, there's a verse in James. James 2, uh, verse um, 7, I think. Uh, 2, 5, sorry. James 2, verse 5, where he says... He's talking about faith. He's talking about this problem in the church, how the church can sometimes show favoritism to those who are wealthy and successful, even though, James says, they're the ones who are persecuting you. They're the ones who are dragging you to court. They're the ones who are slandering the name of Jesus. And yet you, Christians, you are still showing favoritism to them. Um, and he says, brothers, do you not know that God has chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he has promised to those he loves. So James's view um, is actually not just, you know, we sh really, true religion is to care for those who are marginalised. His view is actually the marginalised have been chosen by God. To, that God will show his, his, um, his kingdom among them. God will be at work among them. And one of the stories when I was a young Christian that, that left a deep impression on me, and I think I've alluded it to before, I think when I preached on the lockdown sermon, I preached about my own personal struggles during lockdown. I may have talked about how the story of David was uh, very important to me in the early days of my faith. And one of the things I remember, one of the things that sort of burned itself into my memory about that story when I read it all those years ago, is that there's that period where David... He's been anointed as king by Samuel. Samuel said, you know, God has chosen you to be the next king. But Saul is not on board with that. And Saul sort of chases and persecutes and basically tries to kill David. And David has to run for his life. And, he, you know, this is God's chosen king. And there's a very sort of undignified part of his life where he's having to pretend to be insane in order to not attract the wrong sort of attention. Um, and and uh, there's a part where he runs and he's on his own. This is God's chosen man. This is the man God has said, you are my king. You are my chosen king. I'm going to do great things for you. And he's got no one around him. He's totally alone. Everyone's abandoned him. And in 1 Samuel 22, 2, you read about he went down to the cave of Adullam, I think. And he's isolated. He's all by himself. And it says that when his father's household heard about it, they went down to him there. And he, and he says he was joined by about 400 people sort of said, no, David, we're going to side with you in this. And what's really interesting, 1 Samuel 22, 2, is who are those 400? This really, as I said, left an impression on me. That it says all those who were in debt, in distress and discontented gathered round him and he became their leader. So there's this idea that this man chosen by God, and who are his first disciples? Who are those who are attracted to him? Who are those who are the first to rally to his cause? Those who are in debt, those who are in distress, and those who are discontented. 
the marginalised, the people we might not have much time for. They are the first to see that God is at work here. And, and I, I sometimes think, you know, in our lives, if we say, you know, I don't see God at work in my life anymore. I can't, you know, I'm not seeing God do anything. I kind of want to ask that question. Well, are we going to places where God said he would be? And one of those places is amongst the poor, the marginalised, the outcast, the mumza, these people. And if you want to see God at work, then maybe expand your circle, expand your circle, draw a bigger circle to draw more people into your life, the marginalised and, and people like that. And I think you will see God at work in your life when you do that. So those were the first two kind of things I wanted to stress. These are the foundations for what I'm about to say now, which is really just a, a meandering conclusion. Um, that, that God cares about the marginalised and God actually works in and through the marginalised. And the question for the sermon is, who are the marginalised today? Because I think we have to, as I said, it's not as simple as saying, you know, who are the marginalised? These people groups are the marginalised. Go and do something uh, about it. Because times change and our society changes. And in the Old Testament, there's this, this reoccurring theme of the alien, the orphan, the widow. The alien being the person from outside Israel, the, the refugee or the, the person who's just come along and said, I want to join your people. And... Uh, the, the instructions in the Old Testament are often look after the alien and the orphan and the widow because these are the people who fall through the cracks of society. In the ancient Near East, in the Old Testament culture, in the New Testament, and there was a lot of emphasis on the community caring for the community, um, the family caring for the family. You know, it wasn't the state's responsibility to look after your family or your, your people who were poor. It's your responsibility as they're in your family or they're in your community, your village or your tribe. So these particular people groups, the alien, the orphan, the widow, were people who were vulnerable, who could fall through the gaps. The alien, because they were not a part of the people of God. They'd come, but they weren't a part of the people of God. They didn't have a tribe. They weren't one of the 12 tribes. So if you were, didn't belong to one of the 12 tribes, you were automatically outside of kind of like the, the social network of, of that community. So God says, don't forget them. Don't just, you know, out of sight of mind. Just because they don't belong to your tribe, don't think you don't have a responsibility to care for them. And the orphan and the widow, again, the orphan had no parents because it was the parents who provided for the children, as, as it is in our time. And the widow had no husband, because in those days it was the husband, it was the man, or the, the brother, or the man in the family who was expected to, you know, provide and do the work. So the alien, the orphan and the widows were vulnerable. They were the marginalised, they were the ones who could fall through the gaps, because society was not set up to automatically care for them. And God says, you've got to make sure that responsibility is yours. Now, our society is slightly different. We have a welfare state. Um, so actually, we've shifted some of that responsibility for care for the marginalised onto the, the state, the government. So um, there are benefit systems for the poor and, and uh, widows, of course, women have a different place in our society. They can work and I'm sure there are many widows out there who um, are, are probably not marginalised by virtue of their sort of material situation. And there are programs for refugees, for the, you know, the alien and so on. So we 
have to think, we have to be prepared to think slightly differently about who is on the outskirts, who is marginalised. And that's not to say that these people groups aren't or no longer marginalised. That's ridiculous because uh, the plight of refugees is very well known. Orphans, you know, that's, you know, you can't say now, oh, well, they're fine now. The state looks after them. Uh, or, and there are many poor people. Um, and there are still people who are marginalised because of their poverty. What earlier, just before Christmas, I read an article on the BBC News website. Um, I recommend you look at it if you can. You may have seen it. I was quite surprised to see it on the BBC News website, to be honest, because it's um, you just go on and search the news website, search for Pastor Mick in Burnley and see if the article's still there, because it's about a guy called Mick who uh, was a used to be involved in organised crime and so on. And then he had, similar to Paul, we were talking about earlier, had a kind of a Damascus Road experience. He converted to Christianity. It's an article about him and how other church leaders are trying to help people who particularly have been affected by COVID and lockdown in Burnley, in certainly in parts of Burnley where there's a very high level of of social need and it's quite it's quite an eye-opening read to see the effects of poverty and the kind of uh, situations people are in um, and and how Christians are actually trying to help them and help the marginalized in that way so check that out Pastor Mick in in Burnley see if you can find that article so all that to say that we should still be thinking of the poor, just as Peter, James and John 2,000 years ago said to Paul, you know, don't forget the poor, remember the poor. Then that message should echo through those centuries, through those millennia right to now. They would say the same thing to us. Don't forget the poor. When you have all your theological discussions about everything to do with God, don't forget the poor. But one thing I want to say is it's, I don't think it's necessarily enough to say, well, who are the marginalised, the, the alien, the refugee, the orphan, the widow? Because our society, our culture is different and we have our own breed of problems, of, of ways of people falling through the cracks that they may not have had in, in, in sort of ancient Near Eastern culture. And I think COVID has exposed the problems there of loneliness, of mental health, of difficulties at home like it was really difficult for me personally to realize that when you close the schools one of the consequences of it is you send children who are safer at school than they are at home you send them back to their home situation that's difficult isn't it that's really um, and for those of us who are parents we might feel particular um, pang for that for, for some people took the idea that school's actually safer for some children than, than their homes are um, we've got social exclusion, we've got unemployment, we've got bereavement, we've got learning difficulties, we've got all these situations, all these ways in which people can be pushed to the outskirts, can be marginalised by, by life. And the call to us is don't forget the marginalised. These are people close to God's heart. So there is no easy answer. Who are the marginalised today? It's these people groups. Who are the marginalised today? The answer I can give you is the people who may fall through the cracks and not just materially but also in terms of, of um, social care, in terms of emotional and mental well-being and that 
probably includes some of you in this church. And I want to say to you that God has never forgotten you. God knows, as I said, God cares. And for all of us as a church, the question then becomes, who do I know who is in danger of falling through the cracks, who is in danger of being pushed to the margins because of their situation they're in? Again, as Oz said last week, it can be easy to feel overwhelmed by all these needs, especially as we go through this series and we talk about lots of different things and you may feel like we're saying you've got to, you've got to care for all these different things. Look, God isn't going to ask you to care for everyone and everything. He's just not because it's just impossible. But he is going to ask you to care for someone. He is going to ask you to care about something. As I said, it's not an option to say, well, they can do the sort of caring for the marginalised. I'm not going to do it. Um, you know, it's not my calling. That's not an option. God is going to ask you to love people. I can guarantee you that. So the question then becomes, who? And there is no easy answer. It's between you and God. That's the answer. It's you and God need to sit down and have that time together where you say, God, who is it that I probably already know? They're probably already on in somewhere in my circle that I've drawn who is in danger of being pushed to the outskirts, in danger of being marginalised because of the way life has treated them or the things that have happened. That is between you and God. And it is... Definitely something that we need to think about and think about seriously. So it kind of, I feel like I'm just building on what Oz said last week, um, that there are going to be people you probably already know who are in danger of being marginalised or marginalised already. And our calling as followers of Jesus is to not forget them, is to care for them. So my challenge again, once again, is who is it that God is calling you to care for? It's that simple, really. It's that straightforward. Maybe I should have just said that. We could have all gone home half an hour earlier. But who is God calling you to care for? Take that challenge seriously. Think about that. Put some time aside this year, 2021, to say, OK, God, I believe you you care for the marginalised. I believe you work and are at work in the marginalised and I'd like to be a part of that. Who is it that you want me to care for? Some of you, you're already doing it. Fantastic. And don't panic. You know, God will probably just say, you know, you keep doing what you're doing. That's great. Some of us may not be. And it's time to, to really come to God and say, okay, God, who is it? Who is it that I should be loving? Who is it that I should be caring for? Because it will be someone.